0: This morning, I want to invite you to take your Bibles with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, and then find your way to Exodus, chapter 3, and you can just put a bookmark or something there. Today, I want to begin a little two-week series we're calling In the Wilderness. We decided to leave some of our set up from Vacation Bible School this last week. It seemed fitting that uh, that we would just... Appreciate this little OS, oasis in the wasteland. Is anybody here, could you just testify with a raised hand to say you've been through a wilderness season before? Let me just say, in case you're not sure, uh, if you've ever been in a situation in your life where, where you asked God a question like this, you said, God, I know you're good, but how can any good come out of me being in the situation I'm in right now? If you ever prayed a prayer like that, then you could have raised your hand and said, yes, I've been in a wilderness. If you've ever been in one of those situations where what you're facing just doesn't make sense, it just doesn't add up. Can I tell you today that the wilderness is is not a place that, that people pursue. It's a place that people always run from. Nobody's rushing in. Everybody's rushing out. It's an unpleasant place to be. If you're in a wilderness season in your life, there's nothing appealing about it. When I picture the wilderness, I think about the, the illustration that you see behind me, a place that is uh, not full of much life, a place that there's death, a place that, that smells, a place that you don't want to stay for too long. You look for the exit to get out. When, you, when you're in the wilderness, all of the familiar landmarks are not present. So so you don't see the familiar signposts, those things that you use to gauge your life, to gauge your decisions. When you're going through a wilderness, you wonder. You wonder because there's not clarity and familiarity. There's a sense of disconnect and discontent when you're in the wilderness. You know, it's funny, we, we talk about things like the promised land, and boy, the church gets excited about that analogy, right? I mean, everybody wants to go to the promised land. We want, we want the blessing. We want prosperity, health, wealth. We want the land flowing with milk and honey. We want God to open up the windows of heaven and, and pour out the blessing and, and all of that. We love that. But can I just say to us today, and, and I'm, not, I'm not expecting you to get excited about it, but I do need you to get it. The same God who created the garden Created the wilderness. Can I go a little farther and say to us today that the same God who put Adam and Eve in the garden puts us in the wilderness? The reality is whether we like it or not, you live long enough, you're going to discover that that the wilderness is a reality and that it's something we go through. It's something we're going to face in our lives. You will have times of trials, you will have pressure. You will have difficult situations that are going to test your faith and going to challenge your convictions and cause you to maybe even want to reevaluate your belief system. Those things are going to happen. But here's the good news. God's grace is available to us even in the wilderness. Somebody needs to hear that today, that the grace of God is is available to you in the wilderness. See, we spent all this last week teaching the kids at Vacation Bible School how God used Moses to lead the people out of the wilderness. And that's good news. And praise God that he can do that. But, but I feel a burden today to tell you that God is also capable of leading you into the wilderness. And whether you're in a wilderness season right now or you've just come through one, it is a reality for all of us. And so we ought to try to get as much out of the experience as we can. You ever taken a, a, a test in life and you just thought, God, teach me everything I need to know because I don't want to retake, right? Like, don't want to do that again. Like, whatever it is you were trying to teach me, just help me to get it because I do not want to retake. Let's get all we can out of what God wants to do in the wilderness of our lives. There are several things that, that I want to share with you, and the first one is this. The wilderness is a place where we are sent by God. If you're there in Luke chapter 4, I want you to look at the first verse. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, let me give you a little context here. In case you didn't know, Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe you weren't paying attention in the worship. I just want to clarify, he's the Son of God. He's fully God, but he's fully man. Jesus was sinless. He never sinned in deed. He never sinned in word. He never even sinned in his thoughts. So you've got Jesus, perfect, and now... He's been baptized in water. Now, when we get baptized in water, we're baptized for for our sins. We die to sin. Well, Jesus was perfect, so he didn't have to die to sin. But what he did die to in that moment was his own will. His water baptism was an outward sign to say, I'm dying to my own desires. I'm fully committed to do the will of the Lord. He's beginning his ministry. So you got Jesus, perfect, perfect. Now fully consecrated and devoted to do the will of God. And when he comes up out of the water, the Bible says the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of the dove. Jesus, perfect, fully committed to the will of God, full of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that if there was ever a person that's ready to go into the ministry, he's right here in Luke 4 verse 1. This is the moment. Jesus is ready, and yet it says clearly what happened. We all just read it. The Holy Spirit didn't send him into the temple to start preaching. The Holy Spirit didn't send him on a crusade as a circuit rider evangelist. No, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. Now, just that alone ought to encourage us for a couple of reasons. One, it ought to encourage us to know that God sends those that he loves into the wilderness. See, some of you went through a bad bad season, a bad storm, a bad situation, and you just equated that with the disapproval of God. And I don't know where we get that, but we just feel like when things are bad, God must be mad, right? If things are good, then God loves me, but if things are bad, he must be mad. And so you need to know this today, God sends people that he really, really, really loves into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He leads Jesus into the wilderness. The second reason this ought to encourage us is that you should know that being tempted to sin is not the same as sin. We won't take time today, but if you read the rest of Luke 4, Jesus is tempted by the devil. Three different times, specifically, the devil comes and tempts Jesus, and yet the Bible says Jesus was tempted at all points that are common to man, yet without sin, See, there, there's some of us, we, we get ourselves under this weight of condemnation from, for things that, that we've been tempted to do, thoughts that we were enticed to entertain, places we thought about going, and temptation is not sin, and the devil just wants to, to beat us up over any and everything that he can condemn us for, and I just want to say to you today that temptation is not the same as sin. Sin. Because Jesus was sinless, and in this text, he is tempted in every way. But look at verse 14 with me. It says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. I love this verse. Jesus goes into the wilderness by the Spirit of God, He's fasting for 40 days. He's hungry, he's tired, he's weary, and he's being attacked by the devil. He's facing temptations. And by the way, they wouldn't have been called temptations if they weren't actually tempting. So the devil is is targeting the areas of Jesus' life that he feels like he's most susceptible to give in and to compromise the plan of God. And the first one is, is food. Because Jesus is fasting, and so he challenges him to turn the stone into bread. And it's really not about the food. It's about using the power that God's given him to serve himself instead of serve others. Because Jesus said, I I came to seek and to save the lost. And the devil said, if I can just get him to serve himself one time, I can make a habit out of it. He's done that with a lot of people. The Bible says that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, and then he comes out. And here's the good news, you can come out of the wilderness with more power than what you had when you came in. That's good news. You can come out of a wilderness and you can have more power in your life than what you had when you went in. See, the wilderness is is a place that that, that we're tempted for sure, but it's also a place where, where our faith is tried and it's a place where we find our footing. We find our foundation. See, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in that place, but I love the way that Mark tells it. You don't have to turn there, but just look at this verse with me on the screen. Mark chapter one, talking about the time when Jesus is in the wilderness. Verse 13, it says this. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. Now this next verse is the one, that it just jumped off the page to me this week. It says, he was with the wild animals, And angels attended him. Now, I don't know if that did anything for you when I read it, but when I read it this week, something just kind of clicked that I had never thought of before. Listen, God can care for you even in your wilderness. And when I read this verse, he was Jesus was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. The Holy Spirit just gave me this thought. He said, Aaron, your angels are not intimidated by your animals. I thought, well, praise God. I ought to tell somebody that. (laughs) I chose you. You're welcome. Your angels are not intimidated by your animals. Here's Jesus. He's not just out in the wilderness uh, dealing with spiritual or demonic forces, there are wild animals literal, wild animals around him, and yet the Bible says his angels attended to him. You know what the Bible says in Psalm 91, 11? It says that God has given his angels charge over you. He's given them an assignment to watch over and to protect you and to guard you in all of your ways. That's a pretty inclusive statement. The angels of the Lord are guarding all of your ways right now. They're not worried about the wild animals. They're not worried about the attacks that are coming against you or the circumstances that you're facing. The reality is that, yes, God sends us into the wilderness sometimes, but it's in the wilderness where we find our foundation. We find our opportunity to, to build on something that is in moving. See, it was, it was in the wilderness that Jesus said three times to the devil, it is written, every time the devil tempted him. And the devil's temptation usually usually had a shred of truth in it. And so he would come and he would say, didn't God say? And then he would just kind of misquote an Old Testament verse. And every time Jesus would respond and say, it is written. It is written. It is written. And over and over again, Jesus just began to it's to affirm that foundation and the authority of the word of god in his life. The second thing you need to know is this, not only is a wilderness a place that god sends us, but the wilderness is a place where we're shaped. We're shaped in the wilderness. Did you ever notice when you're going through a difficult situation, it feels like every decision is monumental? Like, when you're under a lot of stress, like, you can't even decide what to eat. You know, like, you just, like, every decision carries weight. It feels critical. It feels, like, detrimental if you make the wrong choice. And, and you can become paralyzed in, in fear. And you can just become disillusioned by even the small things. But it's in the wilderness that we're shaped. It's in the wilderness that your character is forged and I use that word forged very intentionally because the Bible speaks about this process. It says this. It says in Proverbs seventeen three that the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold. In other words, there's a process for purifying precious metals. The crucible is for silver. The furnace is for gold. But the Lord tests the heart. So there's a process for testing our heart. There's a process of refining and of molding and of shapening and strengthening who we are. Our character is forged in the wilderness. I I think about John the Baptist. The Bible says in Matthew 3, 1, John the Baptist went out preaching in the wilderness. It was in the wilderness that John heard the voice of the Lord. It was in the wilderness that, that John became the mouthpiece. He really became the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. It was in the wilderness that, that John began to come into the fullness of his ministry and begin to baptize people and to pave the way for Jesus. I think about Moses. We talked about this last week, but when Moses was a young man, he actually believed that he was the deliverer that God was going to use to deliver the Israelites, out of bondage in Egypt. That's why he went and killed an Egyptian. He took matters into his own hands, and and then he got caught, and then he ran into the wilderness. And he spent 40 years in the wilderness until finally God appeared to him again, and God called him to go and deliver the people. Except the second time God called him, he didn't jump up and say, I'm your man. The second time God called him, he said, not me, not me, Lord. I could, I could never. I, I couldn't do it. And God said, now that's the Moses I was looking for 40 years ago. Yeah, that's, that's the kind of person that God is looking for. But Moses had to be shaped in the wilderness. He, he had to go through a process. God had to take him somewhere and through something so that he could be prepared to be the instrument that God wanted to use in the first place. The Bible talks about it in the New Testament like this. Peter talking to the church about struggles and going through a wilderness season and enduring pain. He said in 1 Peter 1, in all this, greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Why would we want to rejoice in that? He goes on to say in verse 7, these, these trials, this grief that you've dealt with, these have come So that the proven genuineness, not just the genuineness of your faith, the proven genuineness of your faith. Where is it proven? In the wilderness, in the grief, in the trial. Anybody ever had your faith proven before? Like, I know I trust God. Well, I've been through some stuff. You don't have to ask me if my faith is real. It's proven. That's what he's talking about. These things have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold. He's using that same imagery of being forged. It's greater than gold which perishes in the refiner's fire. It may result, your faith may result in glory and praise and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's the the process that he's bringing us through, the provenness of our faith. I think about Joseph in the Old Testament. In Genesis, Joseph was sold as a slave by his own brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery. His father was lied to and told that he had died. His father lived the rest of his life thinking his son was dead and gone. And meanwhile, Joseph goes from a pit to a prison. Then he becomes a servant in, in Potiphar's house and he's falsely accused. And then one day, finally, finally, God brings him full circle to the palace and his brothers come to him. His father's dead, and they fear the worst, that now that dad is gone, Joseph's going to seek revenge. And they come pleading with Joseph that he doesn't take revenge on them. And Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 19 and 20, he says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So God brought him through his own wilderness, through the pit, through Potiphar's house, through the prison, through the palace. All along the way, God's redeeming the betrayal, the slander, the loneliness, and even the promotion of Joseph. He's redeeming all of that. Why? For good, so that he can... Bring good for Joseph and glory to God. Listen, here's what you need to know about the wilderness God never intended your wilderness experience to shatter you, He intended it to shape you. God wants to shape you. Don't don't waste the wilderness. God's trying to, to refine some things and prepare you for some things in the midst of it. We've all heard the expression before don't judge a book by its cover. Well, I'd like to say today, don't judge a blessing by its cover, because I think we're too quick to call some things blessings and other blessings curses. You ever been through something before where you 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 just you would curse the event and never never wish it on anybody until it was all said and done, and then you look back in hindsight and you go, "Wow, God was really working. Wow, God really used that. God, wow." I, I, wouldn't have, I would have never written the story that way, but God used those circumstances to bring me into this season of blessing. I never would have been here if I hadn't gone there. Don't judge a blessing by its cover because God wants to use even the wilderness to shape you. I've shared the story of Corey Tin Boom before, but it's worth repeating. I want to give you just a little bit of her story. If you don't know who she is, Corey and her family hid... They were Jews, and they hid during the Nazi invasion of the Netherlands. When a Nazi spy discovered the secret room that her family was hidden in, the entire family was arrested, and Corey was taken to a women's concentration camp at Ravensbrück. The reason we know her name is not because she survived the ordeal. Several people survived the brutal mistreatment, the inhumane conditions. The reason that we are familiar with the name Corey Tin Boom is because she did more than survive. Because she didn't let her wilderness shatter her, but she did let it shape her. After she was released, over the next several years, decades, she traveled all around the world telling her story, talking about uh, what happened in her life and, and what God has done. And, and while she would go and speak to audiences all over the world, oftentimes she would be looking down while she spoke. But she wasn't looking down at, at notes. She would be looking down at a needle point that she was stitching while she talked. And, and she would, at some point towards the end of her message, she would show people the back of that needle point that just looked like a jumbled mess. And she would say, this is the way that we see the circumstances that we go through. It doesn't make sense to us, but there is coming a day where God's gonna turn the canvas over and we're gonna see the beauty of the story that he's weaving together for his glory. And it's in the wilderness that... That were shaped. And sometimes it, it just looks like a jumbled mess. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense to us at all. But I want to promise you, God is weaving a story for his glory. The provenness of your faith is going to be a demonstration of God's goodness in your life. Amen. Amen. I think that is worth clapping over. Amen. Let me tell you the third thing that happens in the wilderness. It's in the wilderness that we're sanctified. Sanctification is a process. We're not all there yet, but we're getting there. But sanctification is also a miracle. It's something that happens in a moment. Spiritually, the moment we accept Christ, the Bible says it's as if we had never sinned. So while we're still working out our salvation, from God's vantage point, the blood of Jesus covers our sins, and we're pure. We're pure. We're holy. And there's a picture in the Old Testament of of what this looks like in Leviticus chapter 16. The Bible communicates how our sins were dealt with in the wilderness. Leviticus 16 says that when the high priest has gone in and made atonement for all the sins of the people, that he was supposed to take a goat, a live goat. He's supposed to put his hands on the head of the goat. And then the high priest confesses the sins. And the rebellion and the iniquity of all the people. And so the, the high priest has his hands on the head of this goat and he confesses all the sins of all the Israelites and all they've done. And then he's supposed to do something very important. Someone has chosen to take the goat and to lead it outside the city into the wilderness and to release it. You know what they called that? The scapegoat. That's where we get that term. The scapegoat is the one that takes the fall. The scapegoat is the one that carries everybody else's sin, everybody else's rebellion, everybody else's mistake. He's the fall guy. The scapegoat would take the sins of the people of God on his head and would be sent out into the wilderness. Can I tell you, that's why Jesus couldn't die in Jerusalem. That's why the Bible says that Jesus took the crossbeam upon his own shoulder. He bore the sins of the world on his own head, and he carried it outside the gates of the city and into the wilderness onto a place called Golgotha, where he was our scapegoat. Jesus died for us. Why? Because sin is dealt with in the wilderness. Let me tell you the fourth thing that happens in the wilderness it's a place where we're strengthened. I know when you're there, you feel weak. I know when you're there, you feel lost. When you're in the wilderness moment, strength may be the last thing you feel, but I want to promise you it's in the wilderness that God is building strength. And and I mentioned it earlier, but I just got to mention it again. I love verse 14 in Luke 4. That after 40 days without food, after 40 days of being tormented by the devil, the Bible says Jesus came out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same can be true for you. You can come out of the wilderness with more strength than you had when you went in. I, I think about David. In 1 Samuel 17, the Bible says that, that David's older brothers, all of them were off to war. And he was out in the wilderness tending his father's sheep. But, but his father Jesse sent David with, with some supplies and a message to go and to visit his brothers. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17 that David goes to the battle lines and he, and he sees what's happening. And, and for 40 days now, Goliath has been taunting the armies of Israel. For 40 days, he's been, he's been taunting the God of heaven. And so David walks up on this scene and it doesn't make any sense to him at all. He wants, what is going on here? He starts asking questions. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, one of his brothers, Eliab, in verse 28, it says, Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the other men, and he burned with anger, and he asked him, Why have you come down here? And now listen to the, the condescension in this statement. Eliab says, And whom did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? In other words, he was saying, David, you're insignificant. Your job is insignificant. We we just send you out into the fields with a few sheep because we got important things to do. So, what are you doing here interrupting the king's business? And and I think about that moment and I just imagine what David's thinking now. Because David's just come from the wilderness. David's been learning a few things himself. And David's assessing the scene and he's wondering, where's the strength in Israel's army? Where's the backbone? in the people of God. Why have you listened to this man mock God for 40 days? Who's going to rise up and defeat this giant? Because I'm going to tell you in the wilderness, you get strength See, in the wilderness. You get a revelation of how God wants to unfold his plan and purpose for your life. And down in verse 37 of that chapter, David begins to explain to people what God has been showing him. He said, look, when I came against the paw of the lion, God rescued me. When I came against the paw of the bear, the Lord rescued me, and he's going to rescue me from this Philistine the same way he did from them. David got to a place where he understood, look, the battle is the Lord's. If we're the people of God, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name, Exodus 15 says. David said, where's your courage? because strength is found in the wilderness. Now they might have been on the front lines, but the tent flaps were closed. They were intimidated. They were living in fear. David came out of a wilderness experience with strength. And the Bible goes on to tell us that it wouldn't be the last time he was in the wilderness. David ran for his life from King Saul who wanted to murder him. And the Bible says he went off and he hid in a cave and some Men began to come and congregate around David, people who were distraught and discontent, people who were in debt. But they gathered around David, and, and they found a man worth following. They found a man who had been through some things. They found a man who had strength, and, and they became the mighty men of David that God would use to, to conquer nations. These men, they didn't just follow David. They were willing to give their life for David. And and the reason is because they recognized in David a person who knows that his angels aren't intimidated by his animals. They found in David a guy who had found strength in the wilderness. They said, now that's a guy I can follow. That's a person whose faith is proven. And they rallied behind him. Sometimes. We're sent into the wilderness. We're shaped in the wilderness. We're sanctified in the wilderness and we're strengthened in the wilderness. But there's one more thing I I want to tell you today. It's in the wilderness that God shows up. See, some people have this, this false perception that if I can just... If I could just find my way back, if I could just get clarity, if I could just get out of the mess that I'm in, then, then things will be okay. Then I'll find my way with God. Then I'll get direction, and then I'll, I'll get my life back on track. But I want to tell you, God shows up in the wilderness. Last week, we talked about how Moses' story began and how God saved his life so that he could deliver the nation. I I want to go back to Exodus 3. Some of you have already marked the place. I want us to look at the moment where God spoke to Moses again. It says in Exodus 3, verse 1, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Let me just tell you, one of the things I love about this is that it emphasizes in the first verse that Moses wasn't just in the wilderness, he was on the far side of the wilderness. And can I just say to us today, you are not too far in your wilderness that you can't hear the voice of God. It's been 40 years. I mean, try to put yourself in context here. This isn't like, well, Moses went through a hard time. No, he murdered a man and ran away for 40 years. He was raised a prince. He he was raised as heir apparent to the Egyptian dynasty. He could have been the next pharaoh. But he jumped ahead of what God's plan was of deliverance. And now he's running for his life. 40 years. You haven't wandered too far from God's voice. God speaks in the wilderness. He speaks where you are. And isn't that, isn't that the, the gospel? Not, not that you found Jesus, but that he found you. Right? I mean, he came and sought you. He was the, the good shepherd that went out for the one lost sheep. As David said, he picked me up out of the miry pit. He set my foot on a firm foundation. It's him who comes and rescues us. And Moses is on the backside, the far side of the wilderness, and all of a sudden, He sees something he's never seen before. Now, I read something that just, it just spoke so powerfully to me when I read this. I have to share it with you. The the Hebrew word that says Moses saw the burning bush, the Hebrew word is rea, and it means to perceive. We get a little bit of a different nuance in the Greek, which is horeo, and it means revelation. So there's been many Jewish rabbis who have written commentaries about this verse. And what stood out to me so much is that they commented on this passage, pointing out that the bush had already been on fire before Moses recognized it. Moses didn't see something that God was doing. He perceived He had a revelation of something that was already happening. Something that God had already been doing. In other words, the bush was always burning. It had already happened. It was there. Moses may have passed by it a dozen times, a hundred times. I mean, how far can you go leading a flock of sheep when you still got to get home? And can you imagine that the bush was burning. And that Moses had just never perceived it. He had never had a revelation of of what God was already doing and what God was already saying until this moment. And I just wonder when I thought about that, how many of us have wandered through a wilderness season of our life and we've passed by the activity of God. We've missed the voice of the Lord. And it's not that God's not speaking and it's not that God's not active. It's that we're just not perceiving it. Listen, the bush always burns. Just after this, God's going to tell him, Moses, take off your shoes for the place where you stand is holy. This is sacred ground. But can I tell you, the ground is always sacred. See, we come in sometimes, uh, even into a worship service like this, and, and we pray and we ask, Oh, I hope God, I hope God moves. He's always moving. Boy, I hope, I hope the Spirit shows up. He's here. The bush always burns, the ground is always sacred. And yet we can wander through our wilderness season, wondering if we're ever going to see God, if he's ever going to use us again, if we missed our moment, if our chances pass and we don't see the activity of the Holy Spirit. Hear me today. God shows up in the wilderness. He shows up in the wilderness. Theological ethicist Richard Neubauer said this, the greatest Christian revolution comes not by the discovery of something that was not known before. The greatest Christian revolutions happen when somebody takes radically to something that was already there. That's what I think is happening right here in this text. The bush always burns. The ground is always sacred. But it says very clearly in verse 4, when the Lord saw... That he had gone over to look. In other words, God saw that for the first time Moses saw. Notice God's not speaking to Moses until Moses goes over to see. Maybe he had left him out there another 40 years. I don't know. But I want you to notice the, the order of the events because we do the very opposite. We say, God, if you'll move, God, if you'll speak, oh, I'll listen. I'll respond. Oh, God, if you would do this, then I'll do that. God, if you would just reveal this, then I'll step out, right? And God's just going to let you keep on wondering. He, he is already moving. The ground is sacred. The bush is burning. God's waiting for somebody to actually get up, go over, and see what God is saying, and see what God is doing, and respond in faith to where God wants you to go. And it's the moment that Moses moves towards the fire that he hears the voice of the Lord. It's the moment he moves towards the presence of God, which is always typified with fire. It's the moment that he draws near to God. Isn't that what the word says? You draw near to me, the Lord says. I will draw near to you. That's what God's saying to Moses. That's what God is saying to us today. But in the wilderness, we get tunnel vision, and we can't see the activity of the Lord. Reality is God's probably doing 10,000 things for you right now. You might be aware of three of them, right? I mean, come on, let's just think of all the things that God has his hand on in your life right now, things that didn't even, we didn't even consider in our praise this morning. He's got it. But in the wilderness, we get tunnel vision. And we walk right past the activity of the Holy Spirit of God. Today, I don't want to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. I've been praying this week that God would just let this word come alive to each of us. And here's the sense that I have that the bush is burning. And the ground is sacred. And that God wants us today to just do what Moses did. Go over. And see, just draw near, just draw near to God and see, he'll draw near to you.